I know uh, several of you have had the chance to to meet Carl Dean, but if not, I wanted to do a do a quick introduction. Carl and his family have been with us for quite a while at Emmaus, uh, but just recently, Carl's come on staff part-time with us as our pastoral associate for evangelism and senior adult ministry, which is a lot of words to say he does everything. So uh, uh, it's been an incredible encouragement to uh, to have Carl with us on staff, and I'm so thankful that he is preaching for us, and everything that Jaron has, has led in worship and talked about in song and, and comments up to this point just fits so well with uh, where I know the Lord is leading Carl this morning. So I want to pray for him, have us pray for him, and then he's going to share with us from God's Word. Father, thank you for the way that you bring our lives together to praise you, that when we worship, it's not something that we simply do individually, God, but you connect our hearts and our lives with those around us. God, thank you for partnerships in the gospel. God, thank you for a place like Emmaus where we gather to worship and serve and ultimately, God, to share the gospel with those around us. And Father, I pray uh, for Carl as he preaches, God, and I pray for our hearts and minds to be open to your word, that it's ultimately you speaking to us by your spirit. And so, God, that we would listen, and not just listen, but be obedient to how you're speaking to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Am I on? There we go. <laughs> Good morning. How's everybody this morning? Good? No? Yes? Well, I would uh, like to thank our pastor for giving me the chance uh, to be here this morning and to stand before you and bring God's Word. I'd like to uh, tell you just a little bit about uh, what it took to get me here this morning. So, it never fails... Whenever I find out that I'm going to preach somewhere, one of my kids gets sick. It ends up taking one of my kids out, and it ends up taking my wife out because my wife has got to stay home with my kids. So when I found out that I was going to be preaching, I immediately began to pray that none of my kids would get sick. I began to study. Let's take a time out. Maybe. Loud and clear. How about now? Is that perfect? Because it seems kind of loud to me. No? <laughs> okay, we're going to go with it. Either way, I begin to pray that none of my kids would get sick. And uh, we made it through Christmas, and everybody was okay. One of, one of my boys had a, uh, a barking cough, I call it sometimes, but uh, we made it through Christmas, and nobody was sick. It was starting to, to look good, and then uh, later Christmas that night and early into the next morning, I got sick. I said, great, 
and it progressively got worse. Thursday, I came up here to study, and as I am studying, uh, my head is throbbing. I'm hurting. Owen and I kind of met each other in the hall, and we both said, no, no, just, just stay back. And uh, as I go home Thursday, I wake up Friday morning, and I kid you not, I couldn't walk. I had a pain in my back. Owen gave me his cough. Jaron gave me his back pain, and I couldn't move. I could crawl. I crawled to the living room floor, and I laid flat on my back and said, God, um, I really want to preach the message that you've given me. Would you please fix this? Here I am. But I will tell you that I'm one kid short <laughs> because he's at home sick. But luckily, he was big enough <laughs> to stay on his own, and my wife got to come hear me preach. See, she's always at home when I preach, and she doesn't get to hear me, so she still thinks that I'm a good preacher. This morning, she's going to find out otherwise. If you would, open in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. I would also tell you, uh, for the last 10 days or so, um, I shared this with Owen, but I had a spiritual block. What I mean by that is you study something, you're looking for God's guidance. He gives you a message, and you search until you find it, and I couldn't find it. And so I began to fast and to put out the things that I really enjoy in life, which is food and drink. Uh, I began to fast each day till the Lord opened up my heart and opened up my eyes to see what he wanted me to see. I share this with you this morning only for this one reason. This is one week of my life. This is every week of our pastor's life. Will you please pray for him daily? Please. Philippians chapter 2, we are really going to key in on three verses. I'm going to read you the entire passage because I want you to know where it's nestled into, but we're going to key in on verses 3, 4, and 5. If you're willing and able, would you please stand at the reading of God's word? Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. For this reason, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, we love you and thank you for the day. We thank you for this opportunity. God, we pray that you will meet with us this morning. And we 
trust that you will speak to our hearts, and I ask that you would change us and make us look more like our Savior. And it is in his name that I pray. Amen. Please be seated. I am an electrician by trade, and uh, this year has been uh, kind of an odd year for me. I've been really, 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 really busy, or really, really, really not. And uh, that's not entirely odd in construction, but this year it was just different. There was just something different about it. And I came to a job this summer that uh, I really did not want to do at all. Um, It's for somebody that I've worked for for a long time, and uh, it was in Norman, there's one reason I didn't want to do it. It was a remodel. Uh, it was a, a building that was finished in 1958. There's another reason I didn't want to do it. The attic was about four foot to the peak. It was full of insulation. Some of you are starting to itch right now, and that's okay. And the job was just going to be a not-so-good job. But I have a problem sometimes with telling people no, especially when it comes to feeding my family. So either way, I went ahead and I took this job. And I had a, a helper working with me this summer. And I was kind of agitated this summer because I've had resumes out. I was looking for uh, uh, the place where God wanted me to serve. And I wasn't getting any feedback. And so at times I was just a little bit agitated. And the week before I started this job, my attitude, I noticed, wasn't real good. And uh, I told my helper, I said, hey, look, I've been kind of snappy at you here lately. And I want to apologize for that because that's not necessarily your fault. But what I do want you to know is when we get to the job that we're going to next week, you're going to have to just ignore me because I am going to be in a bad mood. I just want you to know this going into it. And he said, what's the problem? I said, this is going to be the worst job that you by far have ever seen. And it's, it's just one of those type of jobs that uh, I don't like doing it. I only did it to try and help my builder out, uh, try to keep work. Either way, I'm going to be in a bad mood. I just want you to know. We show up, the job is every bit as bad, if not worse, than what I thought it was going to be. My arms itch, my legs itch, my face is burning from all the insulation that's just continually coming on me, right? Anytime you touch it, you crawl up in it. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, and you feel for me here. Either way, the job just progressively got worse, and I nicknamed the job the nightmare. When the builder called to talk to me, She kind of stepped on pins and needles real nice and easy. She'd say, can we talk? I said, about the nightmare? She'd say, yes. Well, I noticed as I'm working on this job that I wasn't getting any more phone calls, which means I didn't have anywhere else to be. And if I didn't have this job, I would have been at home doing nothing, not getting paid. Well, Few few days longer goes by, and this job is just tearing me up, let me tell you. There was some new bricklayers on the job. They show up by new. I didn't know them. So as soon as I seen them, I seen an opportunity to get out of the attic. Down I go. 
I go outside, and I begin to talk to these, these two Mexican bricklayers. Talk to the first one, and uh, he's real humble, real talkative, and uh, the second one is just kind of sitting there listening, doesn't say a whole lot. His English is not real good. Well, I asked the first one, I said, hey, man, where are you from? He's like, oh, I'm from Oklahoma City. I said, good. You go to church there? He says, I sure do. Go to the Catholic, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, very good. Are you saved? He says, I sure am. I said, you know Jesus, like you've prayed to receive him, right? You've asked him for forgiveness and asked to receive him. He says, I sure have. I said, great. And I look over at the other guy, and I said, and what about you? And he says, yeah. And the first guy says, no. And I said, oh, really? And the guy just kind of drops his head. And I, I said a couple of more things to him, and he just kind of shake his head. And uh, truthfully, when he did say yes, the other guy would always say, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't go to church. No, he's not saved. No. So this guy's like calling him out, right? Uh, I've never had an advocate while I'm trying to talk to somebody call them out all right so I realized we weren't getting too far uh, because of the language barrier so I pulled out my phone and I, they have this little app on your phone it's called one cross right and it has in many different languages a gospel presentation so I push play on this app and this little guy sits there on the street in Norman and he watches this video when he gets done he looks at me and he's got this glow about his face, and he just nods his head like this. I said, would you like to pray to receive Jesus? And he said, yes, I would. And so right there, we prayed on that street in Norman, Oklahoma, and he prayed to receive Christ as his Savior. So I turned, and I walked off, and it dawned on me how negative I had been about this job. It dawned on me, my horrible attitude. I mistaked God's blessing for a curse. And had I not been in that place, who would have shared Christ with that guy? His name is Caesar, by the way. I repented. Just to be honest with you, I repented. And I told God I was sorry for my attitude I told him I was sorry for calling his blessing a curse. And I renamed the nightmare the dream job. Now, I want you to know absolutely nothing changed about that job. It continued to get worse. But it was all about my perspective. It was all about my attitude. I think I was almost to a place where I missed exactly what the Lord wanted me there for. So let's talk about our attitudes this morning. The title of the message is The Mind of Christ. Owen and I were talking about this uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, this is how this came about. Uh, he later asked me, would you, would you preach that message, The Mind of Christ? What he didn't know, what I was asking him, because I don't know what it is. <laughs> the Lord gives me these little snippets, and he just won't, let me go, right? So he just kept saying, the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ. Well, if you look that phrase up in Scripture, at best, you're going to find it in two places. At best. However, the mind of Christ actually runs through Scripture, runs all through Scripture. So with that in mind, let me tell you what an attitude is. 
I think you know, but let me just give you the definition. It's a set way of thinking, or it's a certain way to view things. It has to do with the way that you think and the way that you see. I've got a few attitude quotes for you here. It says, an attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference. A bad attitude is like a flat tire. You can't go anywhere until you change it. A positive attitude changes everything. Oh, yeah? How so? Well, a positive attitude gives you power over your circumstances instead of your circumstances having power over you. Just think about that for a minute. I'm going to read you a quote from Oswald Chambers, the, the author of My Utmost for His Highest. And he starts out, Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's verse 5 of our text. We are apt to forget that the mind of Christ is supernatural. His mind is not a human mind at all. Never run away with the idea that because you have the Spirit of Christ, therefore you have his mind. God gives us the Spirit of Jesus, but he does not give us his mind. We have to construct the mind of Christ, and it can only be done as we work out in the habits of a holy life the things that were familiar in the life of our Lord. We cannot form the mind of Christ once for always. We have to form it always. That is, all the time and in everything. He quotes, acquire your soul. For example, the new way of looking at things with patience and learn never to say fail. When God recreates us in Christ Jesus, he does not patch us up. He makes us a new creation. Every power of our being is no longer to be used at the dictates of our right to ourselves, but to be subordinated to the Spirit of God in us, who will enable us to form the mind of Christ. He concludes with this, the type of mind Paul urges us to form is prescribed clearly, the mind of true humility, the mind which was also in Christ Jesus when he was on this earth, utterly self-effaced and self-emptied, not the mind of Christ when he was in glory. Humility is the exhibition of the Spirit of Jesus Christ and the touch tone of saintliness. One of my favorite commentators is Warren Wiersbe, and I'll give you a short quote here. To have the mind of Christ does not mean we are infallible and start playing God in the lives of other people. To have the mind of Christ means to look at life from the Savior's point of view, having his values and desires in mind. It means to think God's thoughts and not think as the world thinks. So as I prayed about the mind of Christ and asked for the mind of Christ and asked to be filled with the Spirit that I could preach this message, I waited and I waited and I kept reading this text over and over. And I came to this conclusion. I said, Lord, I don't know what you want me to say. I'm not sure that I know what the mind of Christ is, but I am sure of one thing. I know what the mind of Christ is not. And he said, preach it. Preach what the mind of Christ is not. So before we cover this small passage in Philippians, I want to share with you what the opposite 
of the mind of Christ is. Would you flip over to Romans chapter 7? I have several block quotes from scriptures that I want to read with you this morning. Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. Paul begins to speak about the law. He says, Therefore, did what is good cause my death? Absolutely not. On the contrary, sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am made out of the flesh, sold into sin's power. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discovered this principle. When I want to do good... Evil is within me, for in my inner self I joyfully agree with God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. So what I want to point out to you this morning is we have two natures within us. We have a sinful nature, which the Bible calls the flesh. We have a spiritual nature as a born-again child of God. The Bible repeatedly tells us over and over that if you are reborn, if you are saved, that you have the Holy Spirit. God has put that inside of you. He has put himself inside of you. What I want to point out from the very beginning of this scripture, Paul mentions that sin only produces death in you. That's all that it can produce. Death usually feels right here. It feels disgusting. It makes you want to puke. By the way, did you notice that Paul said three different times about the things that he does that he absolutely hates? That it was sin living in him producing those actions? Did you catch what he said? Sin living in you produces death. It makes you do things you don't want to do. As a matter of fact, he says the things that he hates to do. And I'm glad the Apostle Paul's the one writing this, and not me and not you. Because if there was ever a Christian that we would want to model ourselves after besides the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the Apostle Paul, right? Now, if this guy has a sin problem, I want you to know for sure that you and I have a sin problem, okay? This was a guy that was completely full of the spirit of the living God. He told the church at Rome... He found himself doing things that he hated. Let me ask you a question. 
Have you come to the place in your walk with Christ where you absolutely hate your sin? Not everybody else's. It's easy to be disgusted about somebody else's sin, but we're not going to talk about anybody else's sin this morning. We're going to talk about our own sin. Have you come to the point in life where you can't stand your own sin? Sin can only produce death inside of us. Paul said that there was a war waging in his mind. Did you hear that? Here in a minute we'll go to Galatians where it explains this in a little, little different way. But I want to throw a verse at you this morning with the thoughts of the mind of Christ. When you are having that battle within you, we can call it temptation, we can call it whatever you want, but when you are battling inside and you know the good that you're supposed to do, and you have the sin of which you hate, I hope, and you have a choice to make, I want you to remember this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. We are supposed to control our own thoughts. We can't control everything that comes into our head, but we do decide what stays and what goes. I want you to remember two natures, a good one and a bad one. David Jeremiah put it this way. There are two natures within me. One's a slave and one is free. The one I love, the other I hate. The one I feed will dominate. I want you to recognize whose job it is to control your thoughts and to control your body, to control your mind. It's your job. It's your job. I have several more passages that we're going to run through. What I want you to see from each one of these passages, Paul tells every one of these churches, you must put this away. Now, remember, if you're saved, if you've prayed to receive Christ as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Paul tells Timothy that we've been given a spirit, the Holy Spirit, of power, love, and sound judgment or self-control, whatever translation you're reading. He expects you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to read this to you out of Romans chapter 8, to control your mind and to put away selfish unholy, evil desires. Remember, this is the opposite of the mind of Christ. And just an example, a biblical example that I think of out of this was Cain and Abel. When they brought their offering to God, he accepted Abel's. He did not accept Cain's. Do you remember what he said to Cain in Genesis chapter 4? I'm going to paraphrase. 
Cain, what's your problem? What's the matter? Why are you so upset? Cain, sin is crouching at the door, but you must master it. Its desire is to have you. God told Cain, Paul tells several churches, we are to master our thought life. We are to master those desires. Romans chapter 8, this is just a continuation of where I left off in chapter 7. Paul says in verse 6, The mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. Sin produces death. All of us know what that feels like. It does not feel good. You do not feel like you have life, and you certainly have no peace. Chapter 8, verse 9. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you. Verse 13. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You have to do the putting to death. There's a book called uh, Every Man's Battle. It's the most disgusting book I've ever read. But he gives a principle in there with some imagery that I'll never forget. Paul said, sin living in you produces death. In the book, the guy tells you, stop feeding the sin and it will die. I'd never thought about it that way. I'll just open myself up to you just a little bit and tell you in my former life, I had an addiction to pornography. That was something that's every man's battle. Now you know what the book's about. As I put this away, by the way, I can, I can tell you, I came to a point in my life where I knew God was calling me to ministry. But I also knew that I couldn't do ministry and do this at the same time. So I put it away. I starved it. I don't feed it. Now, if you spend any time on the internet these days, any time at all, you're subject to images that cause your mind to go places you don't want it to go. So you have to be extremely careful. I don't care what program you buy to get it out. I don't care what websites you do. It doesn't matter. It finds a way to creep in there. But you have to be strong enough to put it away, to not look at it, and also when to stay away from it. I mentioned to my mentor earlier this year, I said, hey, am I doing something wrong Why is it every time I get on the internet, no matter what it is, something pops up, something comes up? He gave me the best answer anybody could possibly give me. He said, hey, stay off the internet! Why didn't I think of that? (laughs) So, with that in mind, let me read you a passage out of Matthew chapter 6. This is what Jesus said about your eyes, okay? The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
So, if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Exclamation point, not a question mark. He's telling you that darkness is deep. He finishes out this passage by saying that no one can be slaves of two masters. You will love one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and not the other. Just a short passage from Hebrews chapter 2 about your eyes. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Period. Keep your eyes on Jesus. This is how you work into the mind of Christ. Now quickly, let's go to Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read it. You can go there. You can just write it down. Walk by the Spirit. And remember that whenever Paul says the word walk, it literally means to live. It means how you live. It doesn't mean to move one leg in front of the other. It says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. The Spirit and the flesh are opposed to each other, so that you do not do what you want. The works of the flesh are obvious. I do better with lists, so I've chosen some passages that have lists in it. I remember list much better. He says, remember that the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. And remember, he tells them, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of of heaven. A few verses later, he says this, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4. What I want you to notice on each one of these passages is what he calls them to cut completely out of their life. And remember, he is telling them that they have to do this. It is an expectation of every Christian to live as holy a life as you possibly can. Ephesians chapter 4. You took off your former way of life. The old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. This is also a good place to plug Romans chapter 2, where he says, or chapter 12, verse 2, where he says, Do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Remember that conformity comes from outside, transformation comes from the inside and works its way out. It says, you are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. Quit lying. Speak the truth. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. When you do what you hate, you grieve the Holy Spirit. That's why there's a sickness and a sourness inside of you. That's what grieving the Holy Spirit is. 
Some of you may argue with me on this, but that's okay. The Bible does separate sin just a little bit. If you want a scripture reference for this, Psalms 19, 13, and 1 John 5, 16, and 17. There is sin that we do on purpose, and there is sin that we do on accident. God doesn't view those two sins the same. Yes, they're both sin, but he does not view those the same, and he treats them differently as well. When you sin on purpose, presumptuously, as Psalm 19.13 calls it, willfully, you grieve the Holy Spirit. There's no two ways about it. Let me read you one last passage. Set your minds on what is above, not on what is on the earth. For you have died, therefore put to death what belongs to your worldly nature. That's Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 2. Now, at this point in the service, I've spent most of my time on what the opposite of the mind of Christ is. I believe that God led me to do this, and I believe that he has done something inside of us at this point. A long time ago, I learned when the Lord points out my sin, if I wait until the evening when I lay down at night to pray, to ask him for forgiveness, it's usually not going to happen because I don't remember. I don't have that sickness in my stomach that much anymore. I've kind of passed it by. Sometimes it gets by without me asking for forgiveness. So many, many years ago, I decided I would not live with that inside of me. When God points it out, that's when I stop and I confess and I tell him that I'm sorry and I ask him to help me and to guide me and to lead me to do better. Would you mind bowing your heads with me as I pray this simple prayer of repentance on all of our behalfs? Father, we thank you again for the day and for this time. We thank you for meeting with us. We thank you for your word, which is living and breathing and penetrates our soul and our spirit and our hearts. God, as you have put your finger on dark blots of our souls, as you have revealed where we have sinned, where we may be continuing to sin. We ask you to forgive us, to cleanse us, and we thank you for that. And we ask you to remind us of your power and your presence and your promises as we strive to look like your son. Thank you for making us your children and for being our Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've got a short time left. I'm probably out of time. But we've got a short time left. And I want to run through just a few things with you on Philippians chapter 2. On our sermon notes, you notice there wasn't any. I hope you were taking them, and I hope you'll keep that in your Bible as a reminder. 
on the back, we have questions. About a year ago, I took a church planning assessment. And I scored really high in the evangelistic portion of it, and I tanked in the rest of it. There were two questions on it that really made me mad. They're on this. Here they are. How are you cultivating relationships with lost people? And do you have any friends that are lost? Do you have any friends that are unsaved? For the last year, I have made efforts. I have changed my attitude and my vision, my perspective, to focus on lost people. I'll tell you, last year's theme, the Lord laid on me was relationship. 2018, relationship with lost people. We have a tight group, usually, within our walls here, within our church. But we get inside this bubble, and it's easy to do, and I understand how we do it. We're trying to walk as Jesus would have us to walk, and therefore you end up cutting things out of your life that cause you to stumble. Paul said to be in it, not of it. Maybe Jesus said that. How are you cultivating relationships with lost people? Verse 3 in chapter 2 of Philippians. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. The reason I didn't want to take the rest of this passage and portray Christ as leaving heaven, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, stepping down here, the one who should be served, coming to serve you, is because it's too easy to say, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. That's not me. I don't have a kingdom. I don't have a throne. I don't have something that I can turn loose of. But yet, Paul uses him as the example. So how do you count others as more important than yourselves? How did the good Samaritan do it? You all remember that story? Luke chapter 10. There's an individual on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he falls into the hands of robbers. They beat him. They strip him. They take his money, take his clothes. They left him for dead. Preacher's on his way to church. He's running late. He sees a guy. He says, hey, I'll pray for you. By the way, when somebody's laying on the side of the road half dead and naked, they don't need your prayers. They need you to do something. The other part of the story is here comes the deacon. He's running later than the preacher. He says, hey, I'll pray for you, but I got to go, and I'll see if I can get somebody to come back for you. No, you're the somebody who's supposed to go and help that individual. Now listen closely. The last guy... The biracial person sees the man half dead, naked, and has compassion on him. Gives him his own beast to ride on. That means he puts him in his car. Drives him to the inn, the hospital. Pays his bill. And says, hey, if his bill's more than the money that I left, I'll be back next week to check on him. And to make sure that everything went the way it's supposed to. That's how that guy 
says, you're more important than what I have going on right now. By the way, do y'all remember what the golden rule is? There's one golden rule in Scripture. Do you remember what that is, kids? Treat others the way that you want to be treated. That's the golden rule. Verse 4. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Now, I've got to wrap it up, but let me ask you this. How do you look out for the interest of others? What is one thing that every person needs? Let me give you a hint. What is the one person that every person needs? Sunday school answer is Jesus. Jesus. So, are you cultivating relationships with unsaved individuals so that you have the chance to not just talk with them about Christ, but literally to show them Christ? Is your attitude not the selfish part that we looked at in the beginning, where it's just all about you and your sin, which, by the way, did you know your sin affects everybody around you? Everyone. Is your attitude, is your mindset that of Christ Jesus? Why did he say he came? To seek and to save that which was lost. By the way, did you know the scripture says that Jesus was the friend of sinners? How do you become friends with somebody? You take the most valuable thing you have, your time, and you spend it with them. I'll conclude with one, one story, short story. You guys will remember several months back, I shared a story with you about a man, young man named Tyree. I have been specifically trying to seek him out. He is a Muslim. He is dirt poor. He is broke. But he holds his faith in Islam. Last Sunday, he's the one I text while we sat here. This last week, I asked him to lunch. There's one passage I didn't get to this morning. It's out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The Apostle Paul says, I made myself a servant to all, even though I'm a free man. And I became all things to all people, so that by every means I will see people come to Christ. So that means that he did things that were out of his comfort zone. As I picked this young man up, he has no car, he has no bike. He walks. I took him to lunch. We walked in. We sat and waited to be seated. We stood waiting to be seated. Little girl comes up. She says, where would you like to sit? And evidently he goes here a lot. He's at Buffalo Wild Wings. And he says, I'd like to sit at the bar. She says, well, you know you don't have to wait to go in there. Go in there. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> My previous life, I had a drinking problem, too. 
I followed him into the bar, and we sat there and drank water, orange slices, <laughs> lemons. We had lunch, watching games. I can't tell you how many times he said, man, I really like talking to you. I can talk to you about anything. He knows where I stand. I know where he stands. But my goal is to win that young man to Christ. That's my mindset. That's my attitude. And that's my perspective. We, I can't stand here this morning and tell you how to have the mind of Christ. I can tell you what it's not. And I can tell you how to do things where you can have the mind of Christ. But in each and every one of our situations, which are different, we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit to give us that perspective and to lead us in the mind of Christ. This morning, as we prepare for the invitation, the invitation is simple. I assume God has spoken to your heart and he's spoken clearly. What I want you to do is answer God. I want you to acknowledge what he said. I would highly advise that you write it down after the service, but I want you to acknowledge what he said, and I want you to answer him. I want you to commit to him. If you're here this morning, and you know that you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, Owen and I will be standing down here at the front. We invite you to come forward. We can explain what that looks like, and we can lead you in this. This is the time where we do our business with the Lord. This is between you and him and nobody else in this room. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for this time. Lord Jesus, we praise you. And we thank you for saving us. And we thank you that you don't leave us alone. Holy Spirit, thank you for living inside of us for changing us and molding us into the image of our Savior. Would you do your business here and now with your people? In Jesus' name, amen.